You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello, and welcome to the December edition of Heart Sounds. For those of you who've been faithfully downloading or otherwise listening each month, you'll know that this program is a chance to learn about some of the big happenings in cardiology and hear some of the interviews that TCTMD reporters conduct in order to write their stories. We're doing something different this month. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and call this an annual tradition, since we did this last year too. For the final podcast of 2017, I've asked the TCTMD reporters about their favorite news or features of the year gone by. Almost all of these stories are ones I told you about back when they first went online. In fact, all but one are feature stories that took several weeks or more to pull together. No wonder the news team got invested. Without further ado, let's hear from the TCTMD reporters, their picks for the top story of 2017, and why. My favorite stories to write are the ones that take me out of my usual workday mode. One example this year was a social media session that I attended at Sky. And what was neat about it for me was that on most mornings, one of the first things I do when I get to the office is I go online to see what cardiologists are tweeting about. But that morning, I was sitting in a room with most of those people that I follow on Twitter and listening to them talk about how they use social media in their practices, and they were sharing pearls of wisdom and things they've learned about the interaction of social media and medicine. And I actually learned something myself too, which was that there are certain times of the day that are better than others for getting maximum views on your tweets which would be important, say, if you were hosting a poll or tweeting about something that you think is particularly important for your followers to see. It totally makes sense, but I had never thought of it, and my personal philosophy has always been to try to learn one new thing each day, so mission accomplished. That's Laura McEwen talking about a piece she wrote from the Sky meeting earlier this year. Trying to show we were hip to the lingo, we titled this story with a smattering of hashtags, SoMe for SciCom, Cardiologists See Value in Social Media, with some caveats. In fact, this story of Laura's, and indeed the topic more generally, was a recurring theme in 2017. We covered a number of studies involving social media throughout the year, one of our fellows forum bloggers tackled the topic, and we saw several cardiology meetings host similar kinds of sessions to this one from Sky. Laura's story from May 2017 featured many of the most prominent health professionals in this space. Sheila Sani and Chadi Areas, who chaired the session, but also Mike Gibson, Jordan Safferstein, Ajay Courtenay, and Sunil Rao, who at the time called himself a Twitter newbie. In the ensuing months, of course, we've seen Radial First become one of the leading hashtags on Cardio Twitter. If Laura thinks she learned something in this session, I'd say cardiologists did too. Speaking of social media, that's a good tie-in to Michael O'Riordan's top story of the year. As you'll know from the November podcast, or from diligently reading the news on TCTMD, or if you have, in general, been a cardiologist who didn't sleep or otherwise switch off entirely for two full months, you already know about Orbita. Mike covered the Orbita story when it was presented on the last day of TCT 2017. I then asked him to spend the next few weeks trying to gather reactions to the trial. His November 2017 feature, in my humble opinion, captures all sides of the story and is worth reading in full. Track it down by searching Orbita on the site. You're looking for a feature entitled Trajectory Unknown, How Orbita Lands in Clinical Practice, Still Up for Debate. 
For now, however, have a listen to why Mike singled out Orbita from the other stories and features he wrote this year. My favorite story of the year was the follow-up feature that I wrote after the Orbita trial was presented at TCT 2017 in Denver, Colorado. As a lot of people know, the Orbita trial was a sham-controlled trial comparing PCI versus placebo, quote-unquote, in patients with stable coronary artery disease. The feature itself, after the fact, was a lot of fun because the Orbita trial blew up on social media and there were a lot of physicians and a lot of sort of uh, cardiologists in particular that had strong opinions about the trial. I had a chance to reach out to a number of experts in the field of uh, PCI, including Dr. Greg Stone, Bill Bowden, uh, Dan Simon, a number of other people, as well as Dr. Daryl Francis in London, who is um, quite a loquacious uh, physician and had no shortage of opinions regarding the Orbita trial. Dr. Rasha Al-Lami was the lead PI, and uh, we had a chance to speak at the, the meeting itself. The trial on social media, like I say, was, was fascinating. It was, it was interesting watching physicians debate the, the insides and the outsides of this trial, and to see it happen in real time was quite amazing. Normally, a trial like this takes time to digest, and there'd be you know, editorials, and there'd be letters to the editor, and the feedback would be a lot slower. But in this day and age, especially on Cardio Twitter, there was the dissection of the trial happened, like I say, in real time, and it was very interesting to watch. There were no shortage of completely different thoughts on the trial and its strengths and the weaknesses, but for the most part, people did seem to appreciate the fact that this was the first randomized placebo-controlled trial in stable coronary artery disease and was definitely a landmark study to cover. My favorite story for 2017 is the feature I did on tissue engineering and structural heart disease. Learning the science and translating it for our readers and for myself turned out to be a challenge, but it was a good one. I first got the idea for the story while attending a session at EuroPCR in Paris. And the term they used there was bioresorbable valve, which at first got me thinking it was gonna be just like a bioresorbable vascular scaffold. But it turned out to be a lot more than that. Basically, these are valves and grafts that are built out of living tissue. And they could be made from a patient's own cells or from a donor's. And then the idea is that they grow either inside or outside the body, but they've got to not provoke an immune reaction. And they also have to be durable so they last over the years. And I talked with a lot of experts to get a feel for what's going on in this really new field and where it might be headed. I talked with Martin Leon, Maximilian Emmert, Peter Capitine. Especially, it was exciting to hear how meaningful these valves might be for pediatric patients who, if this is successful, wouldn't need to undergo as many procedures over the years. The idea is that their valves could grow with them instead of needing to be replaced. That's TCTMD's Caitlin Cox, and as she's just explained, this feature story stemmed from something she attended at EuroPCR. I'll give props to course director William Wines, who told me in vague terms about the session when I spoke with him prior to the conference. I passed along the tip to Caitlin, who diligently checked it out. She came back and said, I don't think that was what you thought it was going to be. Sure enough, thanks to some digging by Caitlin, her feature swiftly spiraled into something bigger, more complex, and way more interesting. 
This was one of the more futuristic stories we ran on TCTMD this year, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this in the years to come. Check out Caitlin's story from May 2017, Valve, Heal Thyself, Pioneers Seek Tissue Engineered Fix for Faulty, Failing Cardiac Parts. I love a good story about innovation, and the story I published in August about the rise of 3D printing in cardiology was definitely just that. For a long time, 3D printing was considered a novelty or a toy, perhaps just a fad. But that technology has really come a long way to the point that orthopedic surgeons today are implanting custom 3D printed metal prostheses in their patients. In cardiology, 3D printing is being used mostly today for procedure planning and training. But many people have a lot of really big ideas about potentially printing tissues and even entire hearts that can be transplanted for patients who need them. One of the most rewarding parts of reporting the story for me was the interview I did with a patient. Most of my work throughout the year involves calling physicians and researchers, and we talk in a certain cadence and level of understanding that I can sometimes take for granted. Talking with Dennis Stora, I learned that he developed paravalvular leak 12 years after undergoing surgical aortic valve replacement. Initially, his doctors told him he needed to have a second surgery. But at 69 years old, he wasn't too keen on that idea. After being referred to Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, the team there, led by doctors William O'Neill and D.D. Wang, sent Stora for a CT, and they were able to create a true-to-life model of his heart using 3D printing. They then used that model to perfect their approach for a transcatheter fix. It really hit me upon hearing about Stora's experience that everything I write about, as granular as it can be sometimes, goes back to the patients. It's kind of nice to stop and think about that. Anyway, I now go into full geek mode when talking about 3D printing in medicine. I came upon a booth in the exhibit hall at TCT and was able to touch and play with a variety of heart models that they had on display. They even let me take one home and I now have it sitting on my desk in my office. It's really something to feel the success of technology in your hands in addition to just hearing about it. And I really look forward to seeing how this particular technology grows. See what I did there? I segued from the truly futuristic to the seemingly futuristic. I say that because, for years, 3D printing has seemed so space-aged I've found it tricky to wrap my mind around. Who better to sick on the story than TCTMD's Yael Maxwell, who never hesitates to dive headfirst into a topic she knows virtually nothing about? Now she's our go-to expert. Yael has done several stories now on the medical applications of 3D printing, but it's her feature story from August 2017 that really explains the technology in terms of the materials, process, and applicability. Better yet, it also includes the enthusiastic opinions of cardiovascular specialists working in this space who have plenty to say not only about how this technology might be used in the future, but the ways in which it is already providing an invaluable tool for complex procedure planning. Given its burgeoning role, the next big questions for 3D printing include who is going to pay or reimburse for printed heart parts, and who should that involve? Get the whole scoop in Yael's story, A Heart to Hold, 3D Printers Add New Dimension to the Treatment of Structural Cardiac Disease. It was towards the end of last year that TCTMD reporter Todd Neal started saying he wanted to work on a feature story about parts. 
At the time, none of us really knew what he was talking about, and Todd was happy to admit he didn't know much either. Fast forward to January 2017, and Todd had pulled together an in-depth look at the evolution of pulmonary embolism response teams, or PERTs. Todd's story chronicles how Kenneth Rosenfield and a handful of colleagues at Massachusetts General Hospital came together to find a better, faster way to diagnose and treat PE, which remains the third leading cause of cardiovascular mortality. The idea was to create a multidisciplinary team available around the clock to treat emergency PE the same way dedicated centers treat acute MI or stroke. The kicker here, however, is that the range of specialties involved in diagnosing and treating PE is much broader. There's also a lack of clinical trial evidence to support many of the treatment approaches. At the time Todd wrote his feature, there were an estimated 100 or so PERT teams in the U.S. My guess is that's grown exponentially over the last 12 months. I hope you'll track down and read Todd's full story, Coalition of the Willing, PERT's aim to disentangle the Gordian knot of acute pulmonary embolism. Here's Todd. I'd say there are a couple reasons that this is my favorite story published this year. The first is that the PERT concept is relatively new, just a few years old, and I hadn't heard about it until an interventional cardiologist I've spoken to for a lot of previous stories sent me a paper describing the structure of the teams at the centers that were among the earliest adopters. So the fact that I'd never heard about it, there was a little information about it, and that interventional cardiologists were heavily involved made me curious, and I wanted to learn more. Another thing that appealed to me about this was that it allowed me to talk with a lot of different types of specialists than what I'm used to. Most days, I'll speak to general interventional cardiologists, and I spoke with several of them for this story, but I was also able to connect with others involved with PERTS, including a critical care pulmonologist, a nurse, and a vascular medicine specialist, so it was nice to branch out a bit. And a third aspect of the story that I really liked was that I was able to work in a patient story, and that's not always the case because we're usually focused on telling information to doctors that they can use. In this case, Kenneth Rosenfield, an interventional cardiologist, told me a story about a female attorney in her mid-30s who was 26 weeks pregnant when she collapsed with a massive pulmonary embolism. Both the woman and the baby are doing fine now, and that case served as the inspiration for the PERT concept, which Rosenfield and other doctors at Mass General developed. So all those things together make that my favorite story from 2017. I don't get the chance to work on feature stories as much as I'd like these days, which is why I'm so lucky to work with a great team of reporters who are game to jump on one of my nebulous ideas and see where it takes them. I did delve into one topic earlier this year, something that caught my eye in the international press. This was the news that the Indian government had decided to start capping the cost of certain medical devices, including coronary stents. This decision affects pricey stents made by multinational companies that have been through rigorous, expensive trials and continue to be tracked post-market. It also applies to locally made devices, which typically have not gone through the same regulatory scrutiny. I've traveled to India a couple times and it truly is a country of contrasts. It wasn't hard for me to understand why the government was taking this step when so few people ever get access to the kind of medicine that more developed countries tend to associate with coronary stenting. As I learned in writing my feature, there are fewer than a thousand cath labs in all of India, serving a population of over 1.3 billion. The proportion of STEMI patients who undergo primary PCI hovers at 6%. The big question, of course, is whether mandating a lower price would lead to the big device companies pulling their products from India altogether. And will any other countries follow suit? A bigger issue? Will moves like this actually lead to more patients getting better care? I hope you'll check out my story, Stents as Essential Medicine, India's Cap on Stent Prices Could Have Ripples Around the Globe.
That's it for this special edition of Heart Sounds. Most of the stories the TCTMD journalists told you about on today's podcast can be found in the features section of the website. Here's a pro tip. Go to the news tab on TCTMD and check out the in-depth box at the top. Click on see all and you'll get a nifty list of all the feature stories we published in 2017. Want to read on your phone? No problem. The mobile edition of TCTMD.com looks pretty darn beautiful on your phone or tablet and is easy peasy to navigate. Seriously, why waste another precious moment scrolling gormlessly through Facebook? Your next airport security line could be spent soaking up everything new and interesting in cardiology and CV interventions from TCTMD Mobile. Head to www.tctmd.com on your smartphone, then click on the share icon or select from the drop-down menu to add a link to your home screen. I hope you'll tune in again in January when we'll be back to our regular format. I'm indebted to the news team at TCTMD who make this podcast possible by doing such great work all year round. That's Laura McEwen, Michael Reardon, Caitlin Cox, Yael Maxwell, and Todd Neal. A special thanks to Caitlin who loaned her radio voice to host Heart Sounds several times this past year, and I'm hoping to convince her to come back from time to time in 2018. Let me also give a huge shout out to producers Daniel Parker and Omer Quayam, who stitch the podcast together in the CRF studios each month. I'm also grateful to Albert Berkshire at Great Creative, who lets me into his studio to babble into a microphone, then cleans up my bloopers. Happy New Year, everyone. See you in 2018.